Three, two, two, one. one. CB. Dunny, we back much to the public's chagrin. Wow. Yeah, that was a big word. <laughs> that was a huge word. Coming in early with the buttons. Coming in early, man. Those button games strong. We've been missing the buttons. People have been asking for them. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Where's, where, where's Beyond Flag button game strong, man? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've seen that, those requests. Oh, it's been everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Saw one on a sticker on the on the railroad the other day. Is that why people were gathering down at City Hall? Yeah, but I think we want button games back. Was it that? There was a bunch of signs about abortion and then button game strong. Those are the... <laughs> yes. That's what I saw. Yeah. Man. Yeah, man, you're bringing it. You're bringing it strong. It has been a long time, my friend. It is yeah. good to... Good to be back in the chateau. Good to be back, and we're back with with another guest today. So that's good news for yeah. the listeners. Yeah, good news for the listeners, no doubt. Things been good in your world, or what? Uh, you know, just living that life. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> Saying it all right there. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, man, we had uh, the Flag Film Fest, so uh, it's still on. You can go see the online Film Fest till mm-hmm. the end of May, I think, but. The Flag Film Fest went on last month. It was great. Yeah, we were super fortunate to host a breakout group or something to that effect. I was yeah. actually out of town for it, and you, you uh, kind of opened the doors. I did, in the question and answer session for uh, the film The Trails Before Us, which was an incredible film about uh, Enduro Mountain Biker Nigel James. Um, yeah, getting sponsored and building trails and also writing trails from his uh, ancestors, trails that his ancestors have used for a long period of time. But also in this way, I think it's important to say that I learned through the Q&A period that, um, you know, they're actually really selective about what trails they use uh, in combination with being mindful of the land and what they use the land for and really using having a relationship with the land. So they make decisions where to use and build trails mm-hmm. and created a documentary about it. Oh, it's so neat to hear. I'm really bummed that I missed out on that. Oh, it was good stuff. Yeah. Q and a period. And the film's great. You can still catch the film, the trails before us. It's, uh, on the online version of the flag film fest. You can see that and a whole slew of other films, um, by going to the flag film fest. Cool. Website. What do you got on the docket? Man, something we got coming up as the night visions exhibition. Cultural Interpretations of the Night Sky, and this has taken place at Coconino Center of the Arts. Um, it'll open May 21st and then last until August 27th, so it'll be there for a few months. Uh, this exhibition is in its eighth iteration and is in honor of the legacy of Carolyn and Eugene Shoemaker, with the inclusion of archival astrom- astronomical elements alongside the work of contemporary artists. Just oh, looking at the yeah. postcard, man, it looks super cool. Oh, yeah. So, and also, the good thing here is that it takes place over several months, so you and me have plenty of opportunities to catch it when we inevitably forget and then need to put it back on the books. Yeah, that's a good thing for us, yeah. Yeah, if this was only a one-time exclusive release, this period of time on this specific date, yeah, Yeah. definitely be late. (laughs) Yeah. How's your life been? You asked me about mine. I've been living that life. That one? I've been living that life. What is that one? It's been good, man. It's been good. April was busy. Coaching up them Navy SEALs? Yeah, yeah. Soccer season is in full effect. I'm coaching the Flagstaff Soccer Club U7 Navy SEALs in our cheer. Yeah, it is impressive. In our cheers, um, we clap and bark. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man come on that's the beginning of the game right there yeah so we got the seals man we got a strong team a lot of fun that's happening we're over there on the uh, thorpe park fields on sundays from 12 30 to 1 30 running around like a bunch of juveniles it's fun man i love watching those kids play soccer yeah good yeah. time so you're living that life i'm living that life yeah coach lasso is back did yeah. you uh did you check out i don't know if you saw cocodona Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago, huh? Yeah. yeah. That was last week. Um, oh, yeah. You, you were talking about watching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, logged into IG one day, and then Air Viper was going live, and it was the final finisher of the race, and he had finished like two minutes before the cutoff time. Ooh, cutting it close. Yeah, and it was really neat, man. They were coming, when I turned on, they were running kind of by the where the hospital is on Beaver Street. Yeah. So I stayed tuned for about five minutes, all the way till when he finished, and uh, they ran right by the Chateau, man. Yeah. They went right, right by uh, beyond, beyond the Pines, which was kind of fun to see. Yeah, La Chateau. So finishing up that 250 miles. Good night. Yeah, that's yeah. a race, huh? Didn't you say that, uh, yeah, he, he was like trying to finish it in the cutoff yeah. and he like leaned against the building. Yeah. And it's like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was down at the bottom of Beaver and he kind of took a break and they were like putting water on him and getting him water. And I was like, dude, you got a block and a half to go. And they got like three minutes or something. Just... <laughs> Just make it happen. <laughs> and I'll also shut up because I have not run 249 yeah, and three quarters yeah, of a yeah. mile at this point or whatever. He, he had earned a break for sure. Good night. Yeah. But, but you were like, someone just put him on your shoulders just, and just get, get across, him across that line. line. Totally. And I, like, I don't know, it was really cool to see just super emotional, you know, like yeah. seeing a person finish that kind of uh, effort. Yeah, that yeah. kind of effort. It's yeah. incredible. Dig deep. We, we ran into, we were downtown that morning and saw four or five finishers coming yeah. through. Yeah. Um, just incredible to cover 250 miles independently. Yeah. And under five days, I think is yeah. like whatever it is. Monday yeah. is Monday, Saturday. Yeah. And the finisher did it at under three. Something, yeah. Something just bonkers. <laughs> yeah. 60 something hours. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Super and, cool though, man. And uh, the homie, the the Beyond Flag homie. Oh yeah, we got Beyond Flag alumni on there. Yeah, yeah, Sensman, Eric Sensman. Yeah, what did he it off? He's a musta- mustachioed hombre. Mustachio. That is for sure. Yeah, yeah, but he finished. Yeah, Killer, man. Killer. I, I think that was his mustache that pulled him through. Absolutely, that thing probably pulls him through a lot in life. <laughs> yeah, shout out Eric Sensman. Interview today. Yeah, f- fortunately for the guests. Fortunately for, for the, the guests. Gosh, because this has been really entertaining for them. <laughs> But uh, we're going beyond flag today, man. We're going beyond flag with Laurel Morales, founder and host of the Two Lives podcast. Prior to starting the Two Lives pod, Laurel was a senior field correspondent for KJZZ, Fronteras, and a freelance journalist for NPR. Throughout her career, she won a variety of awards, including one from the Public Radio News Director Incorporated for the only commentary piece she's ever written. Yeah. That's how, that's how you do it. Yeah, you just go out on top. Yeah, write one, win an award, call it good. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah, Jersey in the rafters. <laughs> well done, Laurel. Um, Laurel earned her bachelor's degree from the Miami University. Not to be confused with the U. This Miami is in Ohio. Hashtag go. Red Hawks. Red Hawks. Hey, fun fact. Miami University is the 10th oldest public university in the nation. Which brings one question to mind, Dunny. Yeah, what's that? What is the oldest public university in the United States? Uh, that's actually pretty easy. That's a three-way tie. Huh? Yeah, it's uh, Georgia, UNC Chapel Hill, and William and Mary. Dan- Daniel Phillips, everybody. <laughs> Laurel's education also includes a master's degree in journalism from the 
Northwestern University, commonly referred to, and currently sparring with Harvard for rights to the use of the title of NAU of the East. Hashtag go Wildcats. Wildcats, come on. Oh, yeah, man. Them, Northwestern and Harvard battling it yeah, out. Yeah, they're really duking it out. It's just an intellectual minefield. <laughs> it's pretty amazing to watch, huh? A battle for the title. Yeah. NAU of the East. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty highly sought after title, so we understand it. We get it. So then would they, if, if uh, let's say that Northwestern gets it, would they start calling themselves the Lumbercats? <laughs> It'd be the Lumbercats. <laughs> Guys, just have that one up. <laughs> Hashtag go Lumbercats. Lumbercats. Yeah. NAU of the East. Cumberlats? Cumberlats. Yeah, man. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Laurel has lived in Flag for about 20 years, and when she's not chilling in her closet recording episodes of Two Lives, she can be found on the infamous Los Burrito Trail on the Dry Lake Hills doing yoga, or having sushi with her daughters at Karma, my favorite sushi bar. Yeah. Yeah, good spot. Yeah. So check this episode out. Um, She discusses her experiences as a journalist, kind of goes in depth, talking about secondhand exposure to trauma Mm. and what led to starting the Two Lives podcast. Also of note, uh, there's a reference to Dangerous Minds. Yeah, come on. Uh, Show my name, Coolio Gangster's Paradise. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss that. Yes. Yeah. So she she finishes up by sharing what brought her to flag and ultimately how she connects to the town. So thanks for joining us as we go beyond flag with... Laurel Morales. Welcome to Beyond Flag, a Beyond the Pines production, created by, with, and for the people of Flagstaff building connection in the town we love. We are your hosts, Dr. Daniel J. Phillips, and Cody Bayless, also known as Dr. Chinchilla Nice Nice. Thanks for tuning in as we go Beyond Flag, straight from the dunny of our observatory. Okay, here we are. So, hello. Welcome to Laurel. Welcome here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, nice to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. Um, so, to jump in, can you give us a little bit of a heads up of what you currently do and what that looks like? Yeah, I um, I'm coming up on a year of doing it on my own. Uh, I produce a podcast called Two Lives, mm-hmm. the number two lives, and it's Based on a quote, we're all given two lives. The second begins the moment we realize we have only one. Um, And there's stories of people who have faced some darkness and how those moments shifted or transformed them in big, small, or surprising ways. Mm -hmm. So for 20 years, I've been a public radio reporter, Mm -hmm. um, 10 years, about 10 years at KNAU here in Flagstaff. And the latter 10 years at uh, 4KJZZ, while still living here in Flagstaff, I was not prepared or willing to go down to the valley. Um, (laughs) And they needed a Northern Arizona reporter, so it Mm -hmm. all worked out. Um, And freelanced for NPR all the while I worked for both. And um, the last five or six years, I had been getting a little restless with the four minute feature Mm -hmm. and feeling kind of limited by that. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
And I kept meeting incredible people who had such complex stories that the four minute feature was not going to do it justice. I knew that I couldn't tell their story in four minutes or less and feel good about it. Um, I tried, but it, it just didn't, wasn't as satisfying. I kept a list of people in my back pocket and then COVID hit and I was meeting people who had survived COVID in particular, uh, a woman, Marguerite, uh, Margarita Donald, who was a Navajo translator out in Chuba city. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, caught COVID, um, as many Navajo did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at the time when it, the, they had the highest per capita rate in the country. And she essentially saved herself with the knowledge that she had from, um, she'd done some nursing school and her dream was actually to become a nurse. Um, she survived, uh, you know, one of the, <laughs> the craziest moments in her story was she was asleep um, at her son's house and couldn't catch her breath. And instead of going to the hospital where she knew things were, there weren't any beds left, mm-hmm. she went to her son's truck and turned it on and blasted the air conditioning and put her face right up against the air conditioning to force air into her lungs. And, um, yeah. So anyways, she, um, survived and, uh, became a nurse as, and, uh, or is becoming a nurse. I have to check back with her, but, um, that was something she promised herself through this near death experience was she was going to fulfill her dream. And so people like that inspired the idea. Yeah. So um, I pitched the podcast idea to KJZZ and they said, yeah, sounds great. Uh, Here's three months. Go do it. And I (laughs) produced about six, seven episodes in that three months. Uh And so we ran it as a limited run podcast. But I wanted to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I found that this was really what I was passionate about. I heard, we heard from listeners that these stories were meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, they were finding connection at a time when it was difficult to find mm-hmm. connection. And, um, and I felt really, um, passionate about continuing it and came to my boss and said, how about making me a full-time podcast producer? Mm-hmm. And it was not the first time I'd asked them to do this. <laughs> Um, and they said, no, we really need to go back to daily news reporting. And I said, okay, well then I'm going to go, um, continue the podcast. And we left on friendly terms Mm -hmm. and luckily they gave me the intellectual rights to keep the name and, um, Mm -hmm. not the RSS feed, unfortunately, but that's okay. (laughs) I was able to build the listenership back up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you had to, you had to kind of take a leap there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, still leaping right now. I think I feel like I'm still midair. <laughs> a couple years in. <laughs> One year in. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. first story that was in 2021 and. It was. Um, so I, those stories first aired on KJZZ's feed and then I've since um, started my own and re-purposed um, those episodes for the two lives feed that I have now. Yeah. Separately. Yeah. So I've been doing it on my own for a year. 
for a year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those first, did you say it was six episodes that limited mm-hmm, release? Mm-hmm. And that was over a three month span while you're still working for KJZZ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then it was the leap uh-huh. to do it on your own. How did you, <laughs> so I, I hear you saying you feel like you're midair still, <laughs> but how did you make the decision to actually jump off the edge? Um, it was a long time coming. Um, I was feeling pretty burned out as mm-hmm. a reporter and had um, had a sort of two lives moment of my own where um, I'd covered the Arnell Hill fire and that was probably the hardest assignment I ever had mm-hmm. um, aside from COVID where 19 firefighters were killed mm-hmm. and um, seeing their families the day that they found out that their loved ones died um, was just uh, devastating. Um, and of course, my um, secondary PTSD is nothing in comparison to what they are going through and what mm-hmm. they went through. But um, driving home from another wildfire assignment, I uh, almost ran my car into a rock wall. Um, took my eyes off the road for a second because I was on deadline to look at my phone and, um, and I had two little girls at home and, um, Mm -hmm. and I knew that, um, I couldn't do daily news reporting for much longer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really wanted to show them and model for them that you can follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, was probably that was definitely the turning point. And then sitting down with my husband and saying, okay, budget wise, can we do this? And figuring it out logistically. Yeah. Iron in that side of it out. Yeah. How long was it between the Arnell fire? I guess that experience that you're describing. And then when you made that decision to take the leap into two lives on your own, uh, a while, the one was yeah. the Arnell Hill fire. Um, so 20, is like 18, 17. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's been a, a while. Um, uh, and it's, I think like many women, I felt like, oh, well, I don't have the training to do that. I don't have, I, how could I do this on my own? Mm-hmm. And it was really going to therapy mm-hmm. and finding my voice, mm-hmm. um, you know, a public radio reporter who has to find her voice, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. that, uh, finally gave me the courage yeah. and my husband's support yeah. he was super supportive yeah and my community support here in Flagstaff yeah for sure so you're kind of using that Yarnell fire as an example for the way you would experience secondary trauma in addition to traveling around trying to meet deadlines and trying to live this life right and it gradually you felt more disconnected from it but not enough confidence to make that leap into that thing that you felt passionate about to move towards right right yeah. and I think under the last administration reporting on COVID on the Navajo Nation, um, not listening to the news anymore myself, mm-hmm. encountering more and more people who had stopped turning on NPR mm-hmm. um, and really finding more meaning and connection in these long-form mm-hmm. stories, um, I knew that I needed to make a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a quick Google search turned up that Yarnell was in 13. 
Oh, it's been oh, a while. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, this whole decade feels like a time warp, particularly <laughs> the last few years. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, like, that's a pretty long process then that you were going through to finally take that jump. Yeah. And I, I maybe Yarnell Hill wasn't the best example, but it, it, it did take a very long time for me to go to yeah. therapy to talk about um, some of the brutal I think it's one thing to hear a news story that's triggering and it's another thing to prepare for an interview, record the person hearing their story, be there with them through that with empathy and then listen to that story Mm -hmm. several times, pulling cuts, writing, putting it in context, writing the story, listening to it again several times crying every time you're listening to it Mm -hmm. getting Mm re-triggered like I realized how just hard it is um you know I I know that people first responders definitely experience secondary trauma I I didn't realize how much of that I was holding Mm -hmm. when I heard people's stories well it's you're really touching on something that I've actually wondered before um, that I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to act, ask a journalist, but I've wondered at times a journalist, you know, sometimes I don't know if the field is evolving because I feel like people insert themselves more into stories than they did historically. Like when I was growing up, it, it seemed important to make sure you just say something as this objective observer. Sounds like that line's closing a little bit to me when I hear stories. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, what's it like to go through that? And then do you, when you still produce that story, are you still trying to present it as just this objective, factual experience? Or how do you choose when to insert yourself or acknowledge emotion? Mm, I, through my journalism training, that I was always told, never insert yourself. Mm-hmm. The story is not about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more and more, I kept, I found myself more interested in what NPR called reporters notebooks Mm -hmm. um, when they would do a sidebar or come on and talk to the host directly. A lot of the war correspondents have Mm -hmm. done this where they'll say, yeah, we were in this crazy situation and the bomb exploded right next to me. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so hearing I was, I found myself interested in the behind the scenes and maybe that was, just because I'm a reporter, but I think other people are interested in that too. And then I heard, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, um, Radio Lab. Uh, oh, Jab Abumrad or Jab, Rob Abumrad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking about, um, oh, I can't remember exactly what he said word for word, but it was something like, always leave a little bit of yourself in there. Hmm. And then I heard another reporter um, from this American life at a training, um, say if no one else is there to react to what's happening, you, you should keep your reaction in the story Mm -hmm. because you are the advocate for the listener. Mm. And so, um, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, it absolutely does. It's okay. like a tree falling in the forest. Yeah, no one's there. It doesn't make a sound. <laughs> and if you're there, you got to report on the sound, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm curious to just kind of hear about, um, I don't know if you'd be willing to speak about this more, but just your own experience of that secondary trauma, becoming aware of that. And then I'm almost curious, like how that informed the way in which you chose to go forward. Uh, well, it would manifest in migraines. Okay. Um, as you're, I'm sure, aware um, that I think uh, fear, anger, frustration, all of those scary emotions manifest in our body somehow. And for me, that was <laughs> touching my neck because it was neck mm-hmm. and this like yeah. spike through my left eye. Yeah. Um, is and the physical. Uh, issues, I would be taking sick time away from work so that I could go see an acupuncturist or mm-hmm. get a massage or spend a day in a dark room because I, I was hurting yeah. and it didn't, I didn't quite connect that that might be from this secondary PTSD mm-hmm. until I went and saw a wonderful therapist in town and, um, and even still, when she pointed it out, it was hard for me to be like, oh, but I, I, that's not my trauma. That's not my husband that died. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moments that I, I've, you know, replayed of things I've witnessed, mm-hmm. stories I've heard, um, I, you know, some people I think are, uh, we hear this word a lot today, empaths. Um, and I think the thing that maybe makes me a a good listener, a good storyteller was also the thing that was hurting me. Mm. Yeah. Double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and listening to it, it, I reflect on my own experience in that. And Mm -hmm. I was just thinking like, man, it's been like 14, 15 years since roughly since I went through the master's program in counseling. And I don't remember learning about secondary PTSD or vicarious trauma mm-hmm. too much. And then I worked in a job where I was exposed to these pretty horrific crimes and that sort of thing through through paperwork and oh, doing wow. intakes with people and just get the paperwork first and then reading this thing. And I didn't understand the way in which my mind would construct images of all of these experiences. And then I would basically be exposed to those images. Mm. And then doing that day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then coming to that same thing, like, wow, I feel really burned out. I'm tired of this stuff. I feel really irritable and that kind of thing. It was interesting to come to a realization of like the effect of, again, not being exposed to the actual thing itself, but just the story itself and the images that it would create in my own mind. And I guess I would think that in reporting, you're right there. Like you're right in that in that situation and collecting the family stories and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was wondering, is transitioning into two lives and doing that now, do you experience that similar or different in any way? (laughs) It's a good question. (laughs) Um, And it was something my husband was really concerned about. He's like, well, what are you (laughs) signing up for? Yeah, yeah. Longer, longer form stories (laughs) that create more secondary trauma. Yeah. Just go deeper with it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I would say I've gotten better at um, creating space for myself. I'm not on a daily deadline. I'm picking and choosing the stories that um, I find not only um, 
the most surprising or interesting or the people that I find that have the uh, a, a strong voice that, you know, I want to lift or shine a spotlight on or give them a platform to speak. But I'm picking and choosing people who I think have a great story, but I, I know the stories now that trigger me. And so I don't always, um, even if someone has an incredible story, I've learned that there are certain stories that are more triggering than others. Mm-hmm, sure. um, and so, and as an independent podcaster, I can also choose my schedule. Mm-hmm. And so more, uh, just in the last month, I went from weekly to every other week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's made a big difference too. And I do things like meditate and hike and yoga after a, an especially intense interview. Mm-hmm. And that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Great. So you learn those strategies to buffer that stress and exposure. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think too, the thing you like the underlying theme of what you just mentioned there is like having some autonomy with it. Right. And part of trauma is that lack of control. So either in the, the environmental thing or the perpetrator um, is taking control and creating chaos in a situation. So it's like without the deadlines, without the urgency, without the assignment Mm -hmm. where you have some choice to dictate and you have some fluidity with how you approach it. Totally. um, Gives you a little bit more power or uh, influence and control in the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I hadn't actually articulated it that way Mm -hmm. or heard it articulated that way, but you're right. Mm. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. By the way, I loved uh, your five minute little (laughs) snippet (laughs) about how... (laughs) Your, your daughter's performance and your daughter didn't see you at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, where you mentioned you're cutting back from weekly to every two weeks because you realize that was best uh, mm-hmm. just for both the quality of the podcast and for your own well-being. But you presented it by saying, uh, you know, sometimes we stumble and we figure out new ways to go. And you talked about this instance where you you were at your daughter's performance and she was singing. Yeah. Yeah. She had weeks before that. Um, I picked her up from school and she jumped in the car saying, mom, I got a solo. She was super excited (laughs) and, um, had been practicing to, to give this solo for weeks, picked out a special outfit for it. (laughs) And, um, we get there and, find a seat in the back. Um, and it's finally her turn to get up to the microphone and her music teacher steps right in front of her. And I, we couldn't see her and I was trying to take a video for the grandparents. And so I, <laughs> and I have a, my teenage daughter sitting next to me too. Mm-hmm who was also mortified by this. <laughs> I, I tried to move to a different vantage point, And when I lunged across the aisle, my foot got caught in the strap of my purse. And I almost tripped and like in slow motion, picked up my foot thinking I'd freed myself of the strap. Yeah. And totally did not uh, free myself of the strap and and fell on my face. Even heard like a parent nearby go. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been shocking. But luckily my daughter didn't see it and she was just 
Oh, that's great that yeah. your teenage daughter had experience with other teenagers <laughs> just cringe anytime their parents I'm, I'm bring sure attention to anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The worst part was like no one acknowledged it. Like no one looked at me other than that gasp. Like no one, like not even my husband like looked over and was like, are you okay? <laughs> it's like, we're going to pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> No one's there to tell your story. And then it takes a masterful storyteller that takes that, that instant, craps it into a five minute, just beautiful story to draw the listener in and say, we're going from weekly to two weeks. (laughs) That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you do have, I mean, uh, the, the quality... I was intimidated to have you come in today because the quality of two lives is so, so great. It's such a great podcast. You know, we'd encourage everyone to go check it out. And one of your episodes actually was 2021's one of Spotify's episode of the year for 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of correlates. It made me think of that because that episode for me was a little traumatic. I mean, there were points in in that that seemed incredibly poignant i never saw the way it was going Mm. i never saw that coming um just that quick transition what was like for that story and what's it like to feel the success in relation to a story like that uh what was it like to report on that or to hear that story Mm -hmm. yeah um well cambry has an intense story and often i will meet people who definitely have a two life story and they've written a book and mm-hmm. she was one of those people mm-hmm. and there was no way I was going to be able to condense down an entire memoir into like a 20 to 30 minute mm-hmm. podcast and do it mm-hmm. justice. Um, she, um, was, uh, had told parts of her story in live storytelling events and that's where I'd heard it. Yeah. I don't know if you want to hear part of the story now That'd be or, great. okay. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, so she is a CODA, a child of deaf adults, mm-hmm. and um, was raised in pretty poor conditions in rural Texas. And if you have seen the movie CODA, mm-hmm. you know that um, the parents have no idea how loud they're being and they have no idea how loud their kids are. And so it's a unique experience, um, which she describes in uh, really lively detail that I'm not doing justice right now, but, um, her dad, when he drank, became abusive and was also paranoid. Um, and I think part of his deafness contributed to that. Like he always felt thought his mom or, uh, Cambry's mom and her were talking about him mm-hmm. and, um, and thought that his wife was cheating on him. And very nearly killed her in front of Cambry. And uh, uh, she was the one to call the cops and he threatened her Mm -hmm. as well. And wound up eventually after, um, I don't know if you want me to give it all away, but uh, wound up eventually in in jail for, Mm -hmm. for another violent assault. And she was asked to testify against him refused but her mom did and but what transpired after that is you would think Cambry would have cut off all ties with her dad and 
she actually was able to rebuild a relationship with him mm-hmm. once he was in jail and forgive him. Yeah. And so for me, thinking about what you just shared about that vicarious trauma that sometimes you can experience, those intense moments in that story that you released, which I would encourage everyone to go check that one out, mm-hmm. um, you know, it hits you. It's almost like I, I could feel the fear listening to the story, you know, when she was looking at her father, like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. What was that like for you? Um, I there That was one of those stories where every time I listened to a certain part, I... I was emotional. Mm-hmm. It was, it was hard to produce that one. Um, definitely triggering, not necessarily because of anything that happened in my life, but just mm-hmm. because it, it is, it was so violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Cambry is such an amazing storyteller and performer, she could almost reenact what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it's almost like you're witnessing it as you're Mm -hmm. listening to it. I think what ultimately drives me to continue to tell those stories is, I I don't know. I I think I like I, my devotion to story is stronger than my devotion to (laughs) self-care. But I, I do, I have found a way to, to take care of myself. Separate from it. I, I wonder in my mind, even I feel like you've pulled back the curtain on some questions I had for what it's like to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. And so in those moments, are there moments when you're interviewing the person where you're like, oh, let's take a break or you call a pause to it um, based on what you're observing? Or do you just power through um, with whatever is going on? That's a great question. Um, for these stories, uh, not for my reporting mm-hmm. prior to this, I don't. Actually, there were probably a couple of times where I've interviewed people where I've said, do you need to take a break Mm -hmm. or do you feel comfortable going on with this Mm -hmm. line of questioning? Mm -hmm. But for these stories, especially we do pre-interviews where we will say we, meaning my assistant producer who works with me 10 hours a week or myself, um, will say, um, I am not a therapist. I am a storyteller. Um, and while I am here to listen and provide space and honor your story, I am not here to comfort and care for you. So I want you to make sure you're okay sharing your story and, and finding time after you share mm-hmm. my story, share your story to, um, to take care of yourself. Yeah. But in addition to that, I, um, I interviewed a woman who's also a psychologist and a, uh, a writer who said, emailed me afterwards after her story had aired um, to say I was surprised at how I felt listening to my story being told back to me and it at times was healing but at times it wasn't it was triggering and and so we set up another conversation to sort of debrief about that and she's given me some great lessons that I've applied to other storytellers Mm -hmm. that I interview. Um, and one of those is know what, know what your no is Mm -hmm. uh, in your body. Like if I ask a question, um, know what your boundary is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also, and I've done this since 
I interviewed Dwayne Coyoena, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Hopi artist here in Flagstaff. Wonderful guy. I had just serendipitously run into him right the week before we were going to air his story or drop his episode. And um, he said, you know, I feel like I might have said something I wish I wouldn't have or that I don't want out in the world. Can we, can I listen to it before, or can I see the script before it drops? And and initially I was like, uh, be, and my hesitation was the training I'd had as a journalist was never, we never, ever, ever share what the piece is with oh. the person, which is a very strange oh, wow. policy, yeah. mostly because I think the fear is a couple of things. Either they'll take back what they said um, and say, nope, I don't, you can't use it. Or for there's a, a legal reason, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so that that was sort of drilled into me for many years. But I I'd never questioned it before. Um, I'd shared parts of pieces with people before and said, "This is the the part of your interview that we're using. I hope you're okay with it. I hope it's you know we haven't taken it out of context and." I shared an entire story only once with a scientist because I'm not a science reporter. I don't have a science background and I wanted to make sure I got the science right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, after Dwayne, um, so I, I, I did share it with Dwayne and he said, you know, as a Hopi person, our culture is very sacred and secretive in many ways and this thing that I said about our culture I'm not comfortable mm, going out on yeah. here and so thankfully he had caught it mm-hmm. um and, and, and you did you consented you took out absolutely what he was asking yes you. yeah and so now I do that for every episode and I tell people in advance mm-hmm. we'll be sharing a copy of the episode with you or the the script before it it airs mm-hmm. to make sure that you're comfortable with mm-hmm. everything that's in it. And I realized I'm asking people to share some of the most vulnerable parts of their life mm-hmm. with the world mm-hmm. or with, I mean, I, I wish I had the world as <laughs> an audience, but with, with listeners. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, uh, of course I would want the same, same, um, courtesy and, uh, in fact, um, a couple of reporters who have profiled me about the podcast have done the same courtesy mm-hmm. and sent me the profile. And I, you know, I was able to catch a couple inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. Here, even what you're saying, I mm-hmm. think that's the sense I get from journalism is people are acknowledging that we're actually more connected than just separately sitting with a person. And it's kind of what you're articulating in your own evolution with this. Mm-hmm. You uh, you graduated from Northwestern mm-hmm. with your master's degree, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it was in journalism, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. is that where that was hammered into you? Concepts like that? Yes, yeah. um, that, and then every editor I've had since then, mm-hmm. 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 I would you know people would ask people I'd interviewed would ask, can I see it before uh, before it goes out? Mm-hmm. And frequently those stories weren't like they weren't sharing their deepest, darkest intimacies, Mm -hmm. um, with me. So, um, often I think they were 
coming from a place of, well, what angle are you taking? Um, what's your agenda? And just, you know, um, but it is, I think, a vulnerable, no matter, like I'm sitting here in front of a microphone, it feels a little vulnerable. So <laughs> I, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was uh, drilled in from, yeah, the time I was at Northwestern. What led you to journalism? When I graduated from college, I had an English and women's studies degree and really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I always loved to write. Um, And I did a teaching abroad program in Ecuador, teaching English, learning Spanish, and living with an amazing host family. Um, And it was during that year, letter writing and journaling um, and discovering I was a horrible teacher or didn't have the patience for it. <laughs> um, that I, I thought, well, um, I'm pretty good at writing. Uh, I, I'll give this a try. And I did a couple internships um, before going back to get my master's. I interned at Mother Jones Magazine in San Francisco and then KQED also in San Francisco. And I really fell in love with the medium of audio for telling stories and then went back and got my master's at Northwestern. Okay. NAU of the East. NAU of the East. <laughs> yeah. Is that, where is North? Is that Illinois? Is that Indiana? Chicago. 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 Yeah. Okay. Evans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear about how you learned that you didn't have the patience for teaching. Oh, no. <laughs> to those experiences. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what 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 classroom experiences are you like? I I'm done. I'm done. I've had enough of you kids. I've had enough of you people. I'm going into journalism. Laurel out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had flashbacks last year, two years ago, whenever that was, when uh, our kids went on online. Yeah. We were all home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh uh, I my I taught second and sixth grade English, uh-huh. and um, second graders were sweet. You know, just wanted to learn to sing songs in English. That was fun, but uh, the sixth graders, man, middle school. Oh gosh, tough nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and my host brother was one of my sixth graders, and also the smartest kid in the class. Uh, who knew some English before ever taking my class. And he, that was uh, an interesting dynamic, like coming home, um, you had almuerzo lunch at home and after school and some very awkward moments where he had like been like under my skin all day. Causing problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Was it like a, um, a dangerous minds Michelle Pfeiffer situation where you, <laughs> you had to try and gain his influence to like influence the rest of the class? Yeah. A little bit, actually. And it's so funny. I saw that movie when I was in Ecuador. Oh, wow. With yeah. uh, English, or wait, was it? It was in English with Spanish subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Spanish subtitles said, attention, 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 when the guy was saying, yo, 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 yo. It's <laughs> so like, I don't think that's a direct translation. Attention, attention. Attention, yeah. Yeah. attention everyone. That's so good. No, 
Valley, <laughs> middle school, I was just thinking like, what a bummer that we all have to go through those years and what a bummer that we have to live with people who are also going through those yeah. years. Uh, yeah. They're going to be so <laughs> tough. Golly. I know. Yeah. That's what I was saying though, like uh, in that, when you, when you were sitting next to your daughter and then if you, if you trip, I actually really enjoy watching those moments for, I, I have a son that just became a teenager mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I love watching him cringe. Like, <laughs> Just, just like, embarrassed. Yeah, just embarrassed, yeah. and there is somehow so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll find some, some jollies out of that. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Also, last weekend we watched uh, Napoleon Dynamite with him and a group of friends, and it was like watching in real life the thing that was happening yes. on the screen. Yeah, that's a good one to watch with them. Yeah. 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 Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. It's a rough his life. Yeah. So that that's one of your two lives moments where you you have the dangerous minds experience and different than Michelle Pfeiffer. You're like, yeah, I'm done. So <laughs> shout out Coolio. So then you ended up you pursued your uh, degree in journalism following mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After you finished your degree, what? Uh, how did you get into the field of journalism? What was the first job? Yeah, so um, it was an awesome one-year hands-on program. And so when that year was up, it, hands-on meaning we had written for a, a wire service while we were learning Mm -hmm. both in Chicago and a semester in DC. Uh, we served as, uh, Washington correspondents for newspapers who didn't Mm -hmm. have them. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. And I met, um, Bill Clinton, who was in the white house at the time. Oh wow! And Monica Lewinsky was probably on the lawn somewhere. Um, (laughs) so this is pre, (laughs) wow. This is pre, uh, court hearing scandal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. scandal. There we right, go. Right, yeah. pre-scandal. But I do remember interns being there. Wow. But the, it was a, a like some um, fluffy press conference. I think they were like where they pardon the the turkey uh, that they're going to have. For yeah. the, but it wasn't 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 that time of year. Oh no, it was taking the bald eagle off, off of the endangered species. Um, list, I think. Anyways, I knew there was a bird there. Yeah. <laughs> Turkey <laughs> eagle. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. One of them's our nation symbol. I think it's turkey, right? Yeah, turkeys. <laughs> Feels like it. Feels like it. Yeah. Oh, man. We eat by far a lot more turkeys <laughs> in this nation. Yeah. Um, anyways, after I graduated, um, all that to say, I had clips, you know, something to show for some experience mm-hmm. and was able to land a job at a newspaper outside of Chicago. And I really mm. liked Chicago. Um, so, but, um, the commute was horrible to this, um, suburban newspaper from Chicago and really wanted to get back to public radio and it had, uh, put in several applications with different public radio stations and landed my first public radio job at Minnesota public radio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the winters were way too intense for me. Um, so Minnesota. Yeah. And mm -hmm. how long were you there doing working there? Two years. Put in two years and then, um, covering, uh, Southeastern agriculture, Southeastern Minnesota agriculture, 
like uh, factory worker type stories. Um, there was a story where oh, it was a slow news day and my editor said, uh, go out to those dairy farmers and ask them what they do when the temperatures get so high. Mm-hmm. Like, do the cows still want to give milk? <laughs> I was like, seriously, <laughs> this is my job. Oh, and so I found that like the, the shyest possible dairy farmer I could find <laughs> who was like monosyllabic. Yeah. And I was like, so how are those cows doing? They're hot. <laughs> what do you do for them? We put fans on them. It was like the most... Yeah, real compelling. <laughs> really compelling radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have a copy of that story? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, right? Can we link that? <laughs> oh, I wish I did. No. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Minnesota Public Radio. And then my friend Dan... Uh, who I met in college, my undergrad mm-hmm. um, at Miami of Ohio. He was out here in Flagstaff, uh, Daniel Crocker. He used to, uh, for people who've been here a while, he used to cover, um, uh, he started the Indian Country News Bureau um, because his wife uh, brought them out here to work in the Indian Health Service out on Hopi. Mm-hmm. In the Key Coats movie. And, um, and so he worked for KNAU and he said, there's a job opening as the All Things Considered host. You should apply. And I did. And when I came out, um, it was October, and they uh, gave me a rental car. And in my free time, I drove down the switchbacks to Sedona. And the Aspens were all ablaze. It was like that perfect time of year. Um, and then we, we hiked, uh, Dan and his family and I hiked, uh, um, Cathedral Rock and we got to the top and there was a double rainbow and I was like, oh, this is it. I got to move out here. And a month later, uh, well, so I moved out thinking, eh, two years stint, I'll give it two years, Flagstaff's such a small town. I can't imagine staying here longer than two years. Mm-hmm. And a month later I met my husband and, um, and he is a longtime Arizonan. He is from Tucson and mm-hmm. went to NAU, um, and, uh, convinced me and has since convinced me to stay. So that's, that was 20 years ago. Yeah, here you are. Mm-hmm. Two years times ten. Two, yeah, yeah, turns into twenty quick. You also mentioned before we were doing the interview that there was this recurring dream that seemed to manifest itself also, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to share that. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So years before, back in college, I was started having this dream where um, I was in a white uh, Volkswagen Bug. Uh, driving out to the Southwest, uh, driving through the Southwest. And um, I, I, in my head, it was Monument Valley, but um, uh, probably because I had seen pictures of it. And um, when I met my husband, I discovered he had this 
very same white Volkswagen Beetle. And it still sits in our garage today. Mostly sits in our garage. Doesn't go many places, unfortunately. Is there an underlying message in there for him? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. It's a great car. (laughs) There's something to be interpreted there. He knows. He knows. knows. There's no no unspoken message in there. No. (laughs) Right on. So that was confirmation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So it felt right. For yeah. sure, moving out here. Yeah, what what's led to it going from two to twenty? And so um, you said he's talked you into it, so mm. and building a life here. But what are the reasons that you've ended up staying in this area? Yeah, you know, I resisted it for a while. Seriously, um, felt really isolated, uh, trying to get back to see my family in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, takes a whole day to get down to Phoenix or take a puddle jumper from Flagstaff. And um, to get anywhere actually felt kind of difficult. Um, But uh, really very quickly found community and um, really good friends. And I've stopped resisting probably in the last few years when I realized there's no way I can find friends like these along with, and I think people say community, they throw that word out there a lot, but like, where else can you be where, you know, I was on a walk the other day in Buffalo Park with a friend who has a dog and this runner stops to pet my friend's dog, Eleanor, and pulls out of her camelback dog treats and <laughs> gives them to her dog. I'm like, what the? How did that happen? And she's like, oh, that's the owner of Biff's. I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's stuff like that that yeah. seems to happen. And I'm just, I can't imagine being anywhere else. Yeah. And even right there, you say the owner of Biff's and, and Biff's is named after a dog. They, they love dogs. It's the local bagel shop that everyone knows. You have to go pay cash. Right. Even right there, there's so much depth to just the fabric of the community in that right. moment. Yeah. Unfortunately, I cannot go into Biff's with, it, with my daughters because they will be Cry. crying by yeah. the time we leave because they put up photos of dogs who have uh, passed. Yeah, yeah. The whole, it's like a yeah. whole... Memorial. Yeah. Yeah. There is this thing in Flystaff where canines are held in higher esteem than humans, I would say. Appropriately so. Yeah, appropriately so. (laughs) Much much better than humans. (laughs) For sure. At least they get some things right. Yeah. Yeah. So your relationship with Flystaff really evolved over time. It seems like initially feeling a little isolated and got to this place where you feel really connected. And there is this thing that feels really uh, fulfilling for you to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And it... Once again, wasn't until I went to therapy that I realized that mm. where I stopped thinking that someplace else would mm. would is the, was the answer. Just knowing that as much as I love Hawaii and hope to end up there someday, yeah. it's not very realistic. I mean, talk about isolated. I, sure. I think I would feel more isolated there. Yeah. Get out of the fever. <laughs> I, I, Hawaii is the place you kind of imagine, though. Like, 
That'd yeah. be the dream spot. Specifically Kilauea, oh, Kauai. Yeah. 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 It's my favorite place on earth. Yeah. Aside from Flagstaff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you visited there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For uh, my husband and my, uh, it was our 10 year reunion or 10 year uh, anniversary, anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> reunion coming together. Yeah. Yeah. In that white bug. Yeah. Um, are the, is the water there in Kauai, is it bluer than the water out of Lake Mary? <laughs> you think? Oh, thank it's you. up for debate. Thank you. Thank you for that response. It's up for debate. Thank you for that response. It sure doesn't feel as good as the water of Lake Mary, I'll tell you that. It's Could. not as blue as uh, Havasu Creek, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, don't do that. <laughs> this is a this is a side argument. Cody's convinced the Lake Mary's the oh. largest and most glorious body of water um, in the world. <laughs> I think there's a pretty compelling argument for it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. There is. Oh, yeah. Compelling. So compelling. Much- goose poop out there yeah, man. Oh. get in there get in there that's water in the desert come on come on that's like Mary oh, so yeah. it's a contextual thing it's, there's no water no water no water here's like water Mary. so this water is glorious yeah, yeah. It, it does seem miraculous when you do find water in the desert I'll give you that oh truly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't rescue him don't save him <laughs> It only feeds. It only feeds there's, the there's absurdity. There's truth to what Laura was saying in this moment. No. Absolutely, um, absolutely. No, yeah. oh, no. You can see that this is a long-standing thing between Dan and I. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Oh man. Yeah. Um, so you know, I had mentioned to you one thing that we always like to ask people is how they define Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. So um, you've you've spoken about this area. How how do you define Flagstaff? This is a good question. I mean, I can I can only think of anecdotes like the one I shared in Buffalo Park. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people that I've interviewed for Two Lives, um, Dwayne Coyoena, the Labenzes, um, Jake Bacon, and Ross Altenbaugh, um, who runs the Flagstaff Shelter. If you Mm -hmm. haven't interviewed her yet, you should. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Um, Are, you know, people who are not only are drawn here maybe initially because of their love for the outdoors, Mm -hmm. for being young at heart. You know, there's the whole um, boating community that I think has, there's a lot of seasonal people because of that. Um, they may be drawn here initially for the beauty, um, the Grand Canyon and the peaks and um, the red rocks, but stay because of the people mm-hmm. and um, the people who I think look out for each other. Um, and I think that's evident Jake is actually like the perfect example of that. Someone who's been through something so traumatic and had neighbors and friends and people who barely knew him um, reach out and hold him and and take care of him in a way um, and not forget Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it may be too soon 
but you can say that for the biking community too after mm-hmm. the the biking accident. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think of the the story you did on ribs too, mm-hmm. like uh, run with ribs and yeah. the fabric of the community. Yeah, totally really pulling together. Yeah. 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 So come for the outdoors, stay for the people. Stay for the folks. Yeah, that's our, our slogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, we did it. Well done. Also, we haven't redone our intro, but our new tagline is uh, underproduced and overstated. And so I, I mentioned that because I really appreciate your patience and you tolerating our ineptitude oh. yeah. with recording. You've been so kind and generous, Laura. Yeah. I have been there for sure. Yeah. That's the yeah. least I could do. Yeah. It's well, my th- karma. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure to sit with you. My pleasure. Thank you thank for you. having me. All right. Yeah. Laurel just left the building. She just left the building. And in the meantime, yeah, we got ourselves some good listening. <laughs> How much of this can we play without? I'm sure that someone will be alerted to. Yeah, I'm pretty sure ASCAP busts wow. after 10 seconds or something like that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> is that how it is? 10 seconds? Oh, man. Probably start what if over. you just keep playing 9 seconds, 9 yeah, seconds, just, 9 seconds? That's what I'm saying. The American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. I think they'll... Be honest. Yeah. Why are you playing that tune? Oh man, how how great was that? Well, you dropped a reference to Dangerous Minds and Michelle Pfeiffer when she was talking about being a teacher in Ecuador and trying to liken her experience to developing the rapport with the one to reach the crew. Like that was amazing. Really getting in with the one to reach the group. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are. And I think uh, nonchalantly tried to throw in a shout out to Coolio in there. Not so loudly. Dude, oh man, it was so hard for me not to just derail the entire thing in that moment when you're like, shout out Cooley. <laughs> Gangsta's Paradise, man. Yeah. That's a classic piece of art. Yeah. The movie itself and the song. Those two things in conjunction living in, in, in uh, you know, with one another, just, mm, it's bong bong. It really kind of defined the U.S., right? Uh, in the 90s. In the 90s, sure. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> the seminal work for the United States in the 1990s. Which really, yeah. we need to just say thank you to Laurel for your patience. Yeah. If you made it this far <laughs> to anybody, Laurel particularly, golly, man, you are superhero status. This is incredible. Well, thank you. Tweedledee and Tweedledum are back. <laughs> So uh, that was, a, it was so generous of her. Um, you know, she really pulled the curtain back, I think, on what it's like mm-hmm. to be a journalist. And then through that discussion, I think she just showed so much connection to self in learning that she may have been working in a field that um, expects you to kind of categorically let go of yourself while you're just... Mm-hmm touching on something, but then her own evolution into realizing uh, the toll that took and how to be uh, more autonomous and in control of of what she was doing professionally. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed listening to her talk through that and explain her process and her experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I really appreciate her bringing up the concept of secondary trauma and being willing to share openly about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, yeah, we can't talk enough about that stuff. And I get on my soapbox about trying to normalize that experience and mm-hmm. how for people in a variety of professions are exposed to a whole lot of horrific stuff. Mm-hmm and aren't really aware of the effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. News reporter being one of those. When she talked about like reporters being in places where a bomb goes off next to them and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, man, that firsthand, but then even just an in interviewing people about their experiences. Yeah. 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 Be very traumatic. L- Laurel then concluded with talking about how, you know, she came here actually with a kind of an idea for two years and ended up sticking longer. And she really emphasized how she's experienced community here with that great anecdote of Buffalo Park. Biff's bagels, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's great. She was really speaking to. Well, she mentioned the word community, right? Yeah, that gets thrown out a lot. But yeah, and you pointed out the the multi levels that are unfolding in that one interaction there, and how representative of like staff that is. Yeah, it's really cool. And so, what did she say? Uh, st- come for the outdoors and stay for the people. Yeah, that's, that's our tagline for yeah. the episode. Yeah, thank you, Laurel, for highlighting that for us. Yeah, well done. She's a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Come for the outdoors, stay for the people. Yeah. Which is, a, is kind of similar and different to um, uh, come on vacation, stay on probation, which kind of gets used for uh, Flagstaff a lot. Why don't you take us out by shouting us out? No doubt. If you made it this far, thanks for tuning in. You can always find us on the interwebs, www.beyondflag.com. Flag spelled. F-L-G. We're on that Instagrams and that Twitters. Um, literally, we got those accounts. They are beyond <laughs> underscore F-L-G. Check us out. Give us a like, follow, and a loveies. All right. Well, take care. Love you. Yeah. Brings to mind another 90s reference. Anderson Cooper back when he was on Channel One News. Did you get Channel One News? I remember Channel One like in school. Yeah. Yeah. We called it Whittle or something like that. Oh, yeah. No. uh, So where I uh, maybe it had changed when you went to school. Maybe it progressed. But right. Anderson Cooper was a field correspondent. He was. Yeah. For Channel One. Yeah. Oh, wow. and he was like yeah. just in the midst of war zones. Like mm. that's what made me think of it. Like literally in buildings where bombs are going off next door. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was that like a desert storm time? Oh, I think it was Serbia. Serbia. If I remember right. Wow, man. Just yeah, going back. Bring back memories. Uh, the reason it sticks with me though, because I remember watching it and being yeah. like Man, that guy's kind of in the thick of it. He's like right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing? Like the he's camera shook from like a bomb going off in the yeah. literal neck building next door to him. I think he was wow. in Serbia. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, what, what a platform to start on channel one news. It's no wonder that he's reached the successes he has. Yeah. Channel one really sets you in motion for a <laughs> high level successful career. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Anderson Cooper. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just take this moment and shout out Coolio <laughs> Anderson Cooper. How many times do those two people make them into your just kind of day-to-day conversation? <laughs> hey, man, I was listening to Coolio the other day after watching Anderson Cooper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Dangerous Anderson, Imagine if Anderson... Took on Coolio's hairstyle. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the comb over for Coolio. Yeah. Just white. Coolio, Coolio and the white haired comb yeah. over. And the, the white haired comb over. Silver fox. Dude, 
we're going to produce those images. Yeah, we got those images. We'll make those. Can you do those? Yeah, I have. I I know a guy. (laughs) You want those images? I know a guy. These memes are going viral. Oh, dude. (laughs) We might not be able really to share those (laughs) on a wide range. That might be for private consumption. All right. Well, thank you, Laurel, for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> I get it if you never want to hear our names again. It makes sense. Uh, oh, man, we got to bring Dude, it back you together. You got a whole lot of editing to do. <laughs> I have oh so much God. editing on this one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Might, the outtakes may be longer than the intakes. I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Golly. Where do we end, man? Got a lot of work ahead of me for tomorrow. Yeah. Come on vacation. Stay on probation. Yeah. What does that mean? Come here, party, get arrested, get put on probation. Oh. Now you're, now you're stuck. <laughs> Never heard that one? No, I haven't. Oh, man, I got tossed around. I've heard that one like yeah, millions of <laughs> A times. Lot. Probably every intake I ever did in substance abuse. Uh, yeah, that's like, yeah. 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 I got tossed around. Know, yeah. I haven't encountered that one. Oh, shoot, man. Well, Learn yeah. something new every day. Yeah. Come for the outdoors, stay for the people, come on vacation, stay on probation. Yeah. Fight staff. <laughs> well, we well just cut cut this for the Bureau well, of Tourism, <laughs> yeah. the Great Flag Chamber staff. of Commerce. Here, once again, Flagstaff, you're welcome. <laughs> Flagstaff, you are welcome. You are welcome. How fortunate is Flagstaff to have us here? Oh uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Dude. Oh man. This is the worst. This is the worst. I thought this would be different. Something better and different. I thought this would be different and better different than and this. Different and better than this. Yeah. It's crazy that she says different first and yeah. then needs to emphasize. Something different. I thought this would be different and better than this. We create that experience for people often. Yeah. Uh, oh man. Good what? lord. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is the, this is the least competent <laughs> intro we've done. Again, possibly for one of our most competent guests. <laughs> well, sorry about us. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So Navy SEALs. <laughs> Here's our fun fact. I was on snack duty the other week. <laughs> our listeners will be really compelled by that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Snack yeah. duty. You Snack say? duty, man. I got those kids oranges and Capri Sun. Wow. And how did it? How did it go over? Tell us more. Tell us the depth of the story. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a really big bummer, man. His kids don't seem to be as into Capri Sun as I remember them being. <laughs> so for some reason, they don't oh, want that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Drinks nowadays probably got double the sugar and yeah, triple dude. triple the uh, yeah. artificial color. Uh, yeah. Those kids are all just like, <laughs> Coach, where's our Gatorade? <laughs> Oh, dang. Oh, dang. Where's my Gatorade and Red Bull? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes. Gatorade and really? Red Bull. Yeah. Do it like a mixed drink? Yeah, they just mix it up, man. They want promethazine <laughs> and vodka, too. These kids are crazy, man. They're only six. These kids are crazy. I don't know, man, but we're getting some goals. Yeah. How? Yeah. You still doing good? Yeah, we're doing good. 